G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 18 Review Edition. And let's be thankful we had around it all because uh, these aren't great times in this country with the pandemic taking full toll in a variety of locations. And that, of course, has led to all sorts of dramas with the AFL season in terms of scheduling. And uh, well done to the AFL for getting this round even played. As for the next round, well, as we record this, fresh off the back of round 18, uh, not only do we not know a lot of the venues for round 19, we don't even know some of the games because a very good chance there's going to be some fixtures swapped over to round 19 from round 20 and vice versa. So if we give you some information about next weekend, which turns out not to be right, don't hold it against us because it's anyone's guess. It literally is at the moment. A crazy times indeed. But we had a full round of footy and it was a dramatic round. Some big statements made some uh, big names injured and costly ramifications out of that and a fair bit of movement around the bottom half of the eight. As I say, a very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. A lot to digest this weekend, Finey. Well, Rowan, you'd need to be bovine. You need four stomachs to digest everything that's going on. Where do you start with the ever-changing landscape provided by COVID, of course, the pandemic far more important than the football, but the football is important to a nation that once again finds itself in many places at home worrying about what tomorrow holds. So football is important. And I think we saw exactly how determined the AFL is to get rounds completed and the season continue by the amazing goings-on just prior to the Sydney GWS game which, of course, we'll talk about later. But that shows, I believe, an ins- and, and a single-minded attitude by the AFL that the show must go on, the old P.T. Barnum. Yeah, no, absolutely. Some real drama there. We will talk about that. But uh, five very, very late changes made before that GWS Sydney game. Uh, I'll tell you what, we've got some very strong supporters too, finding our audience, of course, and some wonderful sponsors. This podcast is always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. And uh, a couple of long-time uh, friends of the show and uh, faithful sponsors of ours, finally, give them a plug. Imagine how disruptive it would be to your much-awaited, wonderful dinner at Andrew's Hamburgers if you were told there were five late withdrawals from your hamburger with the lot. You just got handed two buns and got told, sorry, late withdrawals, that succulent meat patty, late withdrawal, the fresh 
lettuce and tomato, late withdraw the cheese, late withdraw the bacon, late withdraw the egg. Thankfully, that will not happen at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. The show goes on there with the full menu, the full battery, the full complement of stars are going to be there when you go there to have your best burger ever, ever. No late withdrawals. And talking about late changes, you could get some if you get a West Point property house built because they are so keen on delivering the latest technologies and architectural breakthroughs that, yes, you will decide decide on a design with the likes of Nick Spartels and the team at West Point Properties. But I'm sure if something new comes on the scene, you'll at least be given the option of having that as part of your new house build because nothing escapes their wonderful eye for detail. West Point Properties, thank you, Nick Spartels. And no light changes either to the best sports data analysts in the business. I'm talking, of course, about Stats Insider who compile wonderfully well data on all sorts of sports, not just AFL, more than 15 sports across the globe, sampling an event more than 10,000 times to give you the best range of possible and probable outcomes. Some great writing on their website too. In fact, I'll be pinning a column for them tomorrow as we speak or Monday today, if you're listening to this on Monday. So look out for that, statsinsider.com. Dot au and while you're at it, give them a follow on Twitter at Stats Insider. All right, massive few days of football, nine games to get through. Let's get straight into it. On Footyology, wrap around. Round 18 kicked off in Perth on Thursday evening with a battle between a newly entered top eight team in Fremantle up against the old heavyweight in Geelong. And it was a decisive win to the heavyweight. Uh, Absolute crushing, in fact. The final scores, Geelong 14-16, 100. 69-point victors over the Dockers. A miserable three goals, 13. There's that inaccuracy again, 31 points. The goal kickers, four to Hawkins for the Cats, three to Dangerfield, singles to Menegola, Narkel, Selwood, Myers, Dalhouse, Close, and Radigalia for the Dockers, Brayshaw, Walters, and Collier, the pretty sorry scoreboard tale. Well, this really was uh, like a uh, David Goliath battle, wasn't it? It became obvious pretty early that the Cats were going to win this very comfortably, up to eight goals, eight to just one seven at half time, And then just a bit of a holding mission in the second half in, uh, at times, pretty difficult conditions. But as we've come to know over a long period now, the Cats are a very strong team and they're pretty damn good in the wet where they can maximise that physical strength. And the Dockers basically just didn't have the armoury to go up against that and uh, probably in the end looked like a team well short of the mark for any pretty sobering night for those home-based Fremantle fans. What do you make of it? I was bullish about Fremantle and have been for much of the season and I guess got drawn further into their claims after their 
strong win against Hawthorne, where Nat Fife looked as good as he's looked in either of his Brownlow seasons. Undiminished returns from Mundy, and then we saw Sarong and Kerra, or even Brayshaw, or especially Brayshaw, stepping up, and all of a sudden things started looking pretty rosy from my perspective. And boy, do I have a different take on it now. Look, let's talk about Geelong and how they made sure that Fremantle strengths were extinguished from the get-go. They obviously put work into Mundy. He was not given anywhere near the freedom of movement. They were pretty intense on him and he had his probably lowest output for the season. At the same time, Dangerfield, men of goal are fantastic. And also, they understand fully well that the Fremantle forward line is, well, spasmodic, but the back line of Geelong is not. And it was there that all hope was extinguished. Well done, Hawkins, getting four goals without Cameron and Rowan because all focus would have been on him. Dalhouse, a lot of speculation about whether he's in the best 22. He put his best foot forward. There was a real sense of Geelong wanting to claim top spot purposefully and every player in that team wanting to be part, especially those on the fringes, of what could be a famous year for the Cats. I've left the best till last, Rowan. Dangerfield. He is a champion. Yeah, he certainly is. I tell you what, um, I, I do like my stats to back up uh, a side's dominance in a game, and two here really stood out. One was the disposal count. Uh, Fremantle held to under 300 disposals, Geelong ending up with 123 more disposals. That's pretty massive. And this one took my eye even more. It was the marks inside 50. Talk about the difference between an efficient, potent forward setup and a one which uh, looks more like a pop gun. The marks inside 50, 28 to 2. <laughs> so 28, that is a massive number of marks inside 50 and 2. Well, I don't need to expand on that. And that was the biggest difference to me. But look, the thing about the Cats now is their senior players, they're so consistent. And uh, they're standing up at the perfect time of the season. You know, they're best in this game. Sam Menegola, a, a big, strong body midfielder, perfect for those conditions. Guthrie just continues that incredible form that has now been going for a year and a half, 35 touches for him. Um, all the usual suspects, Dangerfield, as you said, Zach Tui in defence. Uh, their senior players just give them so much. Uh, they are a formidable team. Just on Menegola, Rowan, look, you're right, his body is one of his great assets because we know that in the contest, in the marking contest or one-on-ones, he's got that strength and it's excellent. But we should not overlook his great aerobic ability. He covers so much ground. He's often there, importantly, in defence and deep in the forward line, as well as his midfield role, which is exhausting, as you know, for all midfielders. But uh, I, I, I know that they cherish his running ability and it's not easy when you're a bigger-bodied f- footballer. No, good point. And uh, just to finish this one off, the Dockers, if you weren't discounting them after that result, I reckon you'd be discounting them for the top eight when you hear their remaining fixture. They have 
to come. Sydney, Richmond, Brisbane, West Coast, and St Kilda. That's pretty tough. Yeah, and they've lost and they've lost decent players. You know, Cindy Moses for Rory Lobb, Sean Darcy injured. Yeah, they're they're going to fall off the face of the earth, unfortunately. Yeah, no finals for Frio in 2021, I think, is the headline on that game. Talking about next week, uh, I did mention they have a game against Sydney, which was scheduled for GMHBA Stadium, that uh, favourite haunt of the Swans in recent times. But, uh, well, will that happen? You'd have to think at the moment the odds are probably against it, given what's going on in Victoria. Obviously, when we're talking about these upcoming games, uh, very, very tentative. But at the moment, it is still scheduled for GMHBA Stadium, 1.45pm on Saturday afternoon. As for the Cats, well, they've got a massive game themselves against Richmond, scheduled for the MCG at 1.45 on Sunday afternoon. Some talk about potentially also shifting that to GMHBA Stadium. But like I said, so much water to go under the bridge, uh, as we saw in the last few days. I mean, things are changing at the 11th hour. So that is a very, very rough guide at this stage. All right, that was Thursday night. Let's turn our attention to what was a big clash on Friday night. Well, this game originally scheduled for the MCG moved to Metricon Stadium, which you would have thought might have helped the nominal away side a fair bit, given that it became a game played in their home state. But not how it panned out. Richmond back on the winner's list, uh, looking pretty ominous. But, and there's always a but for the Tigers, huge news out of this game, of course, the kidney injury to Dustin Martin, who sadly will take no further part in this season. That said, it was a good night for the Tigers. They ended up 20-point victors over Brisbane. The final score, 16-10-106, defeating the Lions, 13-8-86. And they were good up forward, the Tigers. The goal kickers, six goals to Jack Rewalt in his 300th game. What an evening. For Jack, it was four goals to Mabby or Chole playing his best game of AFL footy. Two each to Graham and to Lynch. Singles to Bolton and Martin for Brisbane. Three to Danaher, two to Bailey, two to Cameron, two to McCarthy, two to McStay. Singles to McLuggage and Robertson. Well, finding all the talk post-game, obviously, about Martin. The Tigers also losing Camden McIntosh with a hamstring injury. Um, but we probably should also talk about the ramifications of Brisbane here because I think um, some fairly worrying sides with regards to their premiership prospects. What were your main takeaways from this one? It was a bad night for both teams, Rowan. It was a really good night for Richmond on the field after three bad losses. Uh, they showed a whole lot of character to come out and win that game. And I'll tell you, at half time, when you consider that uh, Mubby or Chol was, he'd uh, maybe kicked one goal to half time, but after two or three weeks of struggling in the ruck, hadn't really turned things around necessarily. They were trailing. And given how they finished the games against Gold Coast, Collingwood, and St Kilda, didn't hold out 
too much store for them, but they are a team of great character. So the actual game, unfortunately for them, it started to turn in the third quarter on the back of Dusty Martin playing his best football for a month. And when I say unfortunately, it just shows how important he is to the team. So let's talk about the big picture. I'll, I'll deal with Brisbane very quickly first. The loss of Hipwood has been well covered in the media, less so Marcus Adams, but he's also hugely missed. Big intercept mark in the back line. They simply don't seem to have the cattle to replace them. McStay doesn't get enough of the ball, and you can't just say, oh, well, no Hipwood. McStay has to do more because he doesn't do more. It's a fact. Danaher is also a bit of a bit part player for them. He's not quite the answer. So they actually got five goals out of them. That's as good as they'll go. Now, the back line missed Adams, and I fear for them. I fear for their prospects. As for Richmond, McIntosh, he's a big loss. But Martin, he's the biggest loss. On top of long-term injuries to Bolter and Broad and Hawley, lost and out injured, even though not playing well. Prestia has not been able to get on the park this year. Uh, looks like they've, you know, the old classic Pyrrhic victory, Rowan. They won the battle, but they're going to lose the war. And I think that's a, one of the few occasions that phrase actually is entirely appropriate. And it's it's sad for footy, I reckon. Look, even if you're sick of Richmond and you don't like them or whatever, you hate seeing great players in the competition taken out of the equation. I mean, he's arguably the best player to watch in the competition. But even that aside... The signs were so good for them. They they got, not only did they get the win, obviously, but it was the way they won it. They got that surge brand of football happening again, didn't they? The knock-ons and the, the taps and just that frenetic forward movement. They really recaptured that to a level we hadn't seen for some time. But Dustin Martin is so pivotal to that. I mean, you're right. He, he was playing a fantastic game, setting up goals, and uh, that surge mentality, he is such a major part of it. Can they replace him? No, they can't. He's irreplaceable. Look, I mean, Dion Prestia, when he returns, will be a valuable addition. But he's no Dustin Martin, with all due respect, of a best and fairest winner. He doesn't have that same level of explosiveness. Um, just a word from me on Brisbane. It's a really good comment about Adams because, boy, if you know, we know how good Rewald is, but if a Mabby or Chole, and I really rate Mabby or Chole, I think his upside is enormous, but if he can stretch their defence to that extent, what are the likes of Geelong, uh, Bulldogs, Melbourne, et cetera, going to do to it when it counts? So, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, look, I'd written off Port Adelaide's premiership hopes and I'm just about ready to put a line through the lines again, unfortunately. Yeah. Look, just on Dion Prestia, he's tried to come back three times this year and hasn't been able to stay on the park. Time's running out for him and his hamstring. The other problem that Richmond face, of course, is the lack of players in the past. Well, for any team, it's a huge drain. But I think we've agreed throughout the year they don't just quite have the depth to cover it and I think they've really gone as deep as they can, which makes you wonder what why Josh Caddick is not part of that team? I'm sure he has to play now. But that's that's been quite surprising to me. I'll say this one last comment on Dustin Martin, Rowan. The actual way he ended his season just shows how intense 
he was and how because he you know he was absolutely putting his body trying to take out Mick Robinson, who's all bones and angles, the wrong person, unfortunately, for Dusty to run into. But Dusty's not generally a crash and bash player. He does most of his crash and bashing with the ball in hand. So it just showed that it was like, you know, five minutes to midnight for Richmond and Dusty was responding in the best possible way. What a sad loss for the club, sad for Dusty and unfortunate for footy because, as you said, we don't have too many Dustin Martins. Never have. Well, a huge challenge for them now, and uh, that begins as soon as next week. Uh, as I said before, big game for the Tigers next week against Geelong, the grand final opponent of last year. That scheduled again very tentatively for the MCG, 1.45 p.m. next Sunday afternoon. As for the Lions, well, they are scheduled to come to Melbourne to play Hawthorne at the MCG, 2.10 Saturday afternoon. But right at this second, you can probably have pretty decent odds against that game being played in Melbourne. Uh, Check your guides for further details. So two pretty big games between top eight teams on Thursday and Friday night. A slightly reduced card for Saturday, but some important games nonetheless. Let's talk about them. Well, this game, originally scheduled as a Saturday evening game, became a Saturday afternoon game. It was between St Kilda and Port Adelaide under a closed roof and a crowdless Marvel Stadium. May have been a bit of a uh, leg up to the power, playing not before a crowd. Uh, In any case, they ended up with a very important win, one which put them back in the top four, the power, 10 goals, 14, 74, 13-point victors over the Saints, and inaccurate, 8 goals, 13, 61. The goal kickers for Port, four to Georgiades, two to Amon, singles to Woodcock, Wines, Mays, and Dixon. For the Saints, two to Marshall, Singles to all of the following. Steele, Butler, Ryder, Webster, King, Hill. Well, Fidey, obviously you'd be disappointed with this one. Um, Gripping last quarter. I've got to say for most of it, I was pretty confident that your Sainers would prevail. But credit where it's due, Port really steeled themselves and found something in those last 10 or so minutes. Uh, Charlie Dixon basically tying things up by running into an open goal and giving him that two goals plus uh, buffer for the last minute or so. Really important them uh, win for them and a very, very costly loss for your St Kilda as far as its top eight hopes are concerned. Are you over the disappointment, Fanny? You know, as a St Kilda supporter, I could rue not having a home crowd. Uh, given St Kilda was down by 20 points in the third quarter and hit the front in the last, there would have been a fair bit of um, home crowd, uh, 19th man power pushing them forward. You can rue those, you can rue that missed situation. You can rue a couple of umpiring decisions. I thought Charlie Dixon got away with one in the last quarter. But you cannot... And this is where the game was lost for St Kilda. 
You cannot blame anybody but St Kilda for the turnovers of Bradley Hill in the last quarter, of Jimmy Webster in the last quarter. I mean, when the ball is in your hands and the clock lets you, gives you enough time to win the game and you give it back to the opposition or give it to the opposition in their own half, Good night, Irene. Sorry, that's the that's where the game was lost. Brad Hill, very disappointing on two occasions in that last quarter, doing little chip kicks, hoping to play the one-two game, and it didn't work. Easily read. Can I just say, I, I, I did tweet this uh, without being cruel. I reckon that is one of the worst displays of kicking in an AFL game I've ever seen. Not just kicking for goal. The set shots were ridiculous, but the field kicking the amount of missed targets in perfect conditions. And it was a tough contested game, but that's no excuse for it. I, what do you think happened? Have you seen many games with as poor a kicking display by either team as that one? Yeah. Um, look, St Kilda has kicked terribly at that ground all year. They have St Kilda has now been able to sort of uh, create a home ground disadvantage like few that have been seen in the AFL. I actually felt going into that game that I wished it was played anywhere but at Marvel Stadium because St Kilda outdoors with a bit of um, dew on the ball, their desperation and their run in recent weeks has been well rewarded. And the sort of play that, say, Dunstan is good at, Crouch is good at, is very much at the base of the pack. It's not pretty, but it's a yardage game that works well, but not at Marvel Stadium. It's not about yardage at Marvel Stadium. It's about hitting targets. And St Kilda have been atrocious at that all season. So, yeah, they've got to address that sooner rather than later. And I mean sooner. It's interesting. They hadn't played at that ground for almost two months. And that was in the fixture. That That's not COVID-related. Yes. Well, uh, a couple of port guys I wanted to mention, Georgiades, like his improvement is visible week to week. I mean, that was a really, really good performance from him. And one guy, and we have talked about this guy a bit, and I tweeted about him the other, I think, last week's game, but Carl Amon is becoming yeah. a consistently good player for the power, and he's a really important player to them now. I thought it, he was terrific in that in that win. Yeah, St Kilda was best served at the start of the second quarter, I think, when or at the end of the first quarter, when they were actually well on top, only inaccuracy denied them a bigger lead a quarter time. And Amon went off with a knock to the knee. And um, I think uh, young Bergman was struggling with a shoulder at that point. Happy days. But Carl Amon put lie to that knee injury by kicking two Butte goals in the second quarter. Could have been three or four. Really hammered them home from about 40 metres out. And on a day when... Goal kicking was poor at both ends and there wasn't much of it. He rightly won them the game and deserved the plaudits. Look, these uh, first of all, Ollie Wines worked his way brilliantly into the game and was instrumental with an excellent mark late in the game that sent them forward. So more power to him. Jack Steele was very good again for St Kilda. They are, you know, highly rated all-Australian midfielders for a good reason, and they're probably going to be back in that all-Australian team, aren't they? I'll say this, I'll say this much, that uh, Port Adelaide, let's face it, without Rosie, Butters, Motlop, very important, and Robbie Gray, that's a very good win. I don't care who it's against. I don't care where it is. And I know that they've got their 
their weaknesses and their limitations. But full credit to them, especially, as you said, with young guys like Georgiades stepping up in a very big way. So great win to Port. Yeah, the Saints are going to find it uh, tough now. Still in the hunt, but uh, their remaining schedule sees them up against West Coast in Perth. And in fact, they've already taken off for Perth shortly after that game was played. They've then got Carlton, Sydney, Geelong and Fremantle. So got their work cut out for them from here, the Saints. As support, well, uh, fair play to them, really important for them in terms of their ladder position that put them uh, in the top four at the expense of Brisbane. In fact, a game clear of Brisbane now, a game clear of everyone. So uh, there's to lose, you'd say, of the top four. Next week on the agenda for the power, they have the Friday night game against Collingwood at Adelaide Oval, 7.15pm Eastern Standard time and you're saying as finding well like I said already in Perth shortly after that game they will play West Coast on Saturday evening 7:40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time all right that was Rowan the- just quickly on on Port Adelaide's position in the ladder uh, look I know we're a few games out and this topsy-turvy season deserves respect and tipsters deserve a good stiff drink but it does look like they may well finish fourth. And without being too cruel to them, one of Geelong, Melbourne or Bulldogs would really love the idea of hosting them in Melbourne for the first week of the finals, I reckon. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. In fact, I tweeted after the game, I don't think Port's quite good enough to win the premiership. And uh, as you'd expect, that won me many friends among the South Australian football public. <laughs> Uh, All right, that was the first of three games on Saturday. Let's talk about the Twilight game. Metricon Stadium, late Saturday afternoon, was the venue for Gold Coast up against the Western Bulldogs. And in the end, victory to the Bulldogs. Boy, they had to fight pretty hard for it, though. Uh, All credit to Gold Coast because they really kept the doggies honest. And the margin, in the end, just 11 points. The final scores, the Bulldogs 14-6, 90, and Gold Coast 11-13, 79. The goal kickers for Western Bulldogs, one name standing tall here, Jamara Hagen in just his second game of AFL footy. Three goals to him and a very impressive performance indeed. Two to Johanneson, two to McRae, two to Waitman. Singles to Bruce, Daniel, English, McNeil and Norton. For the Suns, three goals to Alex Sexton. Gee, he's been a valuable player for them. Um, three to Wainsworth, three to Holman and two to King. Uh, a third impressive performance in a row from the Suns, finally, albeit this one not finishing in victory. Really good effort. How was Holman in that first quarter? I reckon every club has a player that they let go, you know, not now necessarily, over the last 15, 20 years, let go without having a good look at, that they say, how did we let him go? You know, because he started at Carlton, Holman, and every club has these. St Kilda's will be Nick Hind, of course. But he's a really, you know, he provides a lot even when he's not hitting the scoreboard because he's pretty ferocious. 
I thought he was great. And Sexton, uh, don't you love the way he channels Kevin Bartlett? He he would not know that there's a teammate around when he gets the ball, but that's his go. That's his style. And when he hits the scoreboard, more power to him. Up the other end, remember uh, uh, when we talked about the Bulldogs last week on this very program, that we said that Jamara Eugle Hagen didn't get the stats that you know, warranted much talk in his first game, but he didn't look out of place. And Rowan, I was shocked during the week at how many football scribes and ex-AFL footballers sort of wrote him off and said, well, he's just not ready for football in 2021. That's not the way I saw it in that very high-pressure game against the Swans. And I was not surprised to see him handle himself comfortably against Gold Coast. How about you? No, I agree entirely. There was some very sort of uh, ominous little cameos in that game against the Swans. And um, that first mark he took in this game and the conversion from a pretty difficult spot, it just had confidence all over it. And uh, he just continued to grow in that confidence and could have had uh, four or five in the finish, couldn't he? Missed a couple of ones that he might have kicked. I'm really interested in whether this changes the dynamic of the Bulldogs forward setup. Do we think that they can carry Hugo Hagen, Norton and Bruce all in the one forward setup? Seemed to work pretty well in this game. I don't think so, personally. But it might give them a bit of flexibility if they're getting pressed down back, even though Keith and Cordy have been good in the last month, playing on various opposition stronger than the ones they faced against Gold Coast. You know, of interest to me is how they manage that midfield of theirs. Because on paper, with Dunkley back in the team, and I know he, he was looked short of the run, didn't he? I mean, he started all right, but he was gasping for air during the game. On paper, that midfield should have annihilated Gold Coast, really, when you think about it. And Bontempelli was great. And they all get the ball, but they didn't annihilate them. In fact, it was around the stoppages where I had greatest concern for the Bulldogs in terms of a possible upset. So... I just, I just wonder about the functionality of that midfield, even with all the stars in it. I think Trelaw really adds to it, may I say, because he's an outside mid. But I'm not sure about all of them together, as we saw them last night. And there was no Liberatore. I know he's important, but still, I don't know about Dunkley in that team. Just a, a quick, another quick one on the Suns. Uh, sharp has looked pretty sharp, I reckon, for the last uh, few weeks. Yeah, he started off shaky, didn't he? But he looks much better now. Yeah, no, definitely some real encouragement for the Suns over the last month or so. And, uh, I mean, God knows they needed it. So it's very timely. But and really... Rowan, we've got to mention Tuke Miller again because I thought he yeah. was best around. Yeah, yeah. No, he's having an incredible season for them. We'll absolutely bolt in their best and fairest. You can already back that one in. What have these two teams got on the agenda next week? Well, for the Western Bulldogs, they have a home game scheduled against Adelaide, uh, scheduled for Mars Stadium, Ballarat, 12.40pm on the Sunday. Uh, You'd think at the moment that one should go ahead. Um, And for the Suns, they have, well, this one. Where is this going to be? It is scheduled for TO Stadium in Darwin, the Suns drawn to play Melbourne on the Saturday evening, 7.25pm Eastern time. But uh, like we keep saying, who knows where that one 
is going to end up. That is a big challenge for the Suns, but Melbourne certainly won't be taking them lightly after their form of now the last three weeks. All right, that was the Saturday Twilight game. Let's talk about Saturday evening. Well, Melbourne and Hawthorne, MCG co-tenants, clashing Saturday night at that venue in front of, sadly, no crowd. But a dramatic game, this, with a dramatic finish. And in the end, they couldn't be separated. Our second draw this season following that between North Melbourne and GWS down in Hobart a few weeks back. The final scores, Melbourne 11-13-79, Hawthorne 12-7-79. The goal kickers for the Demons, three to Fritch, two to Pickett, singles to Brayshaw, Brown, Hunt, McDonald, Neil Bullen and Spargo. Good spread of goal kickers. For the Hawks, three to Bruce, including the one which tied things up. Two to Lewis, singles to Howe, Kaczynski, McAvoy, Mitchell, Moore, Phillips and Warpole. Well, Friday, I've got to say, with the Hawks, I just cannot get them right. Every time I think they're ready to put in a big one, they play like crap and vice versa. And I reckon within... Oh, well, no, Melbourne did get off to the better start in this game. But uh, once the Hawks started to claw their way back into the contest, I immediately thought, I've got it wrong again because they showed admirable fight, ended up kicking more goals. And uh, look, probably in the end, if you can have a moral victor, I think it's fair to say it was them given the respective ladder positions and the fact that Melbourne obviously has a lot more to play for. Absolutely. Factor in Sam Frost's insane kick off the ground <laughs> that I was sure had cost him any chance of winning the game. If you haven't seen it, he's capable of doing some very unusual things, Sam Frost. I know they needed to get the ball forward, but why didn't he pick it up? Um, anyhow, it went to Gorn and you thought that that was the game then. But to Hawthorne's credit, especially given that they went forward a couple of times late in the game, and it looked like Lever and May and just the numeric advantage had it all covered, but they were pretty desperate up forward, and Kulczynski competes really well in the air. Actually, they just both... just let me chip yep. in there, bro. How's that pickup of Lever in the last couple of seconds of that superb, game? Superb, was it? Yeah, it saved him, I reckon. Yeah, he's superb. They'll say this, that Hawthorne, as you say, are very hard to read because they're putting some... Shockers. The game against Fremantle was lamentable, really. But give them a sniff, of course, and they are Hawthorne, and it's dangerous. They would be most pleased, though, with development of young players. Granger Barras, he's all right. I get, you know, it's not an easy name, Denver Granger Barras. You could just about swap all the words around and still have a version that's usable. But he looked like he really hurt his shoulder, came back and did a couple of important things very late in the game. Good character. How good's Bramble? I mean, he's fast yeah. and he's a, a ball winner. These names have come from pretty well nowhere. So more power to them. Remember, they don't have Will Day, who's clearly the best of their young brigade. And he only came back for a couple of games and started those. He's had a very interrupted season. But, but just, on, just on that, they're missing yeah. their entire back, back line, six. Yes. Yeah, uh, but he's the best of the young ones, isn't he? 
Yeah, 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 no doubt. As to Melbourne, not a good result in terms of you shouldn't be drawing with Hawthorne. But actually, to be honest, because they've got a percentage clearly inferior to the Bulldogs and inferior but not insurmountable against Geelong, they should be happy that they got at least two points. That was a valuable two points. You know, if their percentage was 20% more than the other teams, you don't need two points. But when it's inferior, two points can be very handy. So they should be pleased that they got away with something, especially given that after that goal, Tom Mitchell got the ball out of the clearance and sort of missed, I don't know, was, did he miss kicking it or? Yeah, he, he did. It was he, weird. he missed kicked it. Yeah, 41 seconds left on the clock after Bruce had tied up the scores and, yeah, Mitchell got his hands to it and he thought, oh, here we go. And, yep. yeah, just yeah, yeah. miss kick, miss kick. Yeah, a bit of a fresh air shot. Uh, Melbourne, how's that forward line working? Because I don't think it's going great if they can only kick 11 goals against Hawthorne's second and literally second defence, because we pointed out they missed five or six defenders. Yeah, I think they've got to stick with what they've got, though. I, I, I thought, look, Brown, uh, impressed with him last week, and I, I thought he had his moments again in this game. I reckon he's the man more so than Wiedemann. I, I agree with that. Um, Pickett, he could have won them the game. He missed a set shot late in the game. Um, he was, look, if he kicked three goals, then it's a good return, so I'm not going to criticise because he kicked a very good goal in the last quarter. Uh, I, I guess McDonald was, you know, not missed this week on the scoreboard. But they're going to have to go with it. And at their best, we know that that forward line does work. It's got a bit of everything that you want. It's got the mid-size forward in Fritch, the lively pick at McDonald and Brown. I just worry that this is now four out of five weeks. They have under-returned. Yeah, that's, that's true. But uh, as you say, could uh, those two points could end up being really important and they are still on top of the ladder. So uh, what what have we got left? Uh, five games, uh, still time to turn that form around and get it closer to where it was early in the season. And the Hawks, well, they'll just go on developing players and hopefully for them more often than not giving that level of effort because very impressive outing from them indeed. Uh, they've got a tough one to back up next week. They have got Brisbane, a game scheduled for the MCG, 2.10 Saturday afternoon. And as we said after the last game, Melbourne are scheduled to be heading up to the Northern Territory to play Gold Coast in Darwin, but you'd think probably less likely uh, that will be played there. More likely, it will be transferred somewhere else. Who knows exactly where in these uncertain times. All right, they were the Saturday games. We had, unusually, four games on the Sunday. Let's have a natter about them. First game on Sunday, coming at the unusually early start time of 12.35pm. Unusual venue as well, Metricon Stadium the venue for North Melbourne's game against Essendon, that being rescheduled from Marvel Stadium. Intriguing contest this and tight for much of proceedings. If people thought the Bombers were going to have an easy time of it, sorely mistaken, North Melbourne continuing their good form and just a breath between these sides with not much time left to play. In fact, the Roos were within a kick 
with about eight minutes left on the clock. In the end, Essendon just finding a little bit more in the finish. Five goals in the last quarter and Jake Stringer having a lot to do with that. The Bombers, 18-point victors, 13 goals, 14-92, defeating the game Kangaroos, 11-8-74. The goal kickers, four to Stringer, three of them in that last quarter. Three goals to two-metre Peter Wright, good game by him, and singles to Guelphy, Perkins, Heppel, Smith, Ham, and Hooker. For the Roos, three to Nick Larkey. Two very impressive goals to Taylor and singles to Scott, Thomas, Lazaro, Marnie, Zeri and Zerha. Some interesting pronunciations here at the finish of the North goal kick as well. Uh, I don't think the Bombers finally would be overly happy with their performance in this game. Really seem to struggle to find the requisite effort. But as they have uh, pretty consistently this year, doing enough to get over the line in a game that they're expected to win. Certainly nothing lost by the Roos in defeat. They were pretty impressive all afternoon. What would you make of this one? I was interested that you called it an interesting game. If pressed for an adjective, I'd be hunting around my thesaurus for something akin to terrible. It was not a great watch, but it was an important game for Essendon and they would be delighted that they played some of their least impressive football of the season in terms of uh, how how they approached, well, not how they approached, how they actually took their shots at goal. They were harried and many of their players fluffed their lines. A number of players did not have their best games, that's for sure. Uh, but they got the four points and that is key to the equation Let's be honest, North Melbourne without Ben Cunnington must be beaten by Essendon if they aspire to anything. And they did beat them because cometh the hour, cometh the man. And the game really called for somebody just to stand up and say, you know what, enough missing, enough mucking around. I'm good enough, Jake Stringer would have said to himself, to get the ball, kick goals and win the game. And he virtually did that. He virtually just grabbed it, grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck. The North Melbourne forward line provided some optimism for the future. As you pointed out, Curtis Taylor's exciting. And as he plays more football and sees more ball, he'll be an even more dangerous player. He's been good ever since he stepped out on the field last year. Larky has developed nicely this season. Unfortunately for North Melbourne, they need a second tall forward to really stretch defences. But they've shown a little bit. There's no question that they're on ballers without Cunnington, were competitive and they've had a great year from the likes of a competitive uh, Simpkin and Walker and Marnie before he got injured. They have a crack and the back line is okay. I thought Tarrant Thomas has been a bright spark for them. But for Essendon, you know what? Take the four points. Look at the tape. There's something to learn from the game and be assured that you're going to have to play much better football than that to win a spot in the eight. That's absolutely right. But uh, even for the Bombers, I think, similarly to the Roos, some some spark in a couple of individuals in particular. Really impressive debut from Sam Durham, I thought, apart from the uh, shocker of um, (laughs) that attempt at his first goal. But Uh, He paid paid Essendon back with that beautiful smother from Zerha in the last quarter. Desperate and, and well beyond a one-game player's scope normally. 
Correct. And uh, apart from the miss, he hit his targets pretty consistently all day. So I think he uh, more than likely keeps his spot. I think they've uh, they found one there. Pretty impressed with Braden Ham. The longer the game went, kicked an important goal in the last quarter. And after a bit of a, a jittery start, I thought he got a lot better. And the big guns stood up when it counted. You mentioned Stringer, obviously the key with three goals. But I thought Merritt and Parrish both had huge last quarters. I think Merritt had 11 disposals in that final term, Parrish nine. And they are consistently coming to the party when most required. Also, Peter Wright, good game from him. I think he's starting to make his presence felt a bit more, uh, holding his grabs a bit more and um, chipping in more on the goal-kicking front. So some pluses there for the Bombers and the Roos. Look, they will end up taking plenty out of this season, I think, and epitomised today, I think, by those couple of goals at a critical stage from Taylor. Uh, Davies Uniac, impressive again. Jai Simpkin, of course, has been a a leader of that side for a number of years now. And Aaron Hall, uh, consistently good performer for the Roos coming off halfback this season. So, you know, a season that was looking pretty abject early on. Who can forget that? Good Friday, smashing at the hands of the Bulldogs. They are so much a better side now than they were even a couple of months ago. And I think that first win against Hawthorne in retrospect was a real turning point for them. Their confidence has just soared from that moment. And uh, I'll tell you what, look, if they do end up taking out the wooden spoon, they're going to be one of the better performed uh, and more promising wooden spooners I think we've seen in the last few years. Yeah, well, we'll talk about Adelaide a little bit later on in the podcast, but North are doing what Adelaide can't do, and that's finish the season off with an, a, a note to the future, an ode to the fact that pre-season will not seem like a chore. I think most of the players will be happy to get on the track and build on what they've achieved. To that end, I mentioned Taron Thomas, but I add Lazaro as somebody that has, in his first season, shown something as a league footballer. I didn't know his father played for Geelong Reserves. Found that out today. So that's interesting. And they need what they what they will be looking for, and they're going to get in the market. They need somebody to run sort of um, shotgun with Cunnington. Because we saw without Cunnington just that hardness and that finishing ability that Parrish and Merritt brought to the game, North didn't have without Ben. All right. Well, what's on the agenda for these sides? Well, frankly, who knows? Because uh, at this stage, we're talking about several games being switched from round 20 brought forward to round 19 and uh, similarly a few swapped. Right at this stage, though, and please remember we are recording this straight after the finish of this round. The Roos scheduled to be playing Carlton at Marvel Stadium. Uh, 4.40pm Sunday, but uh, given that venue, I'm not sure that one's going to pan out as planned. And the Bombers, uh, well, they were scheduled to play GWS at Marvel Stadium. We already know if that game is to go ahead, uh, and that's no sure thing, um, that it will be at Metricon Stadium again, and that one scheduled for Twilight on Saturday. All right, that was the first of the Sunday games. And let's talk about a clash now of traditional rivals. Well, they always say no matter where they are on the ladder and both these sides, uh, fair to say, struggling in 2021. They've had some pretty dour clashes over the years, Collingwood and Carlton. 
But this one ended up not being one of them because uh, a major turnaround in the last quarter of footy. And that resulted in a 29-point win to Carlton, which pretty much trailed all day until a blistering last quarter of six goals. And the Magpies similarly held goalless in that final term. All one-way traffic in the last quarter as Carlton found the scoreboard and uh, a real bit of dash about their game. The final scores, the Blues 13-13-91, defeating the Magpies nine goals, eight 62. The goal kickers, four to Harry Mackay. All of them kicked in the last quarter. He'd had a pretty ordinary day until then, but boy, did he step up and make a big difference. Two to Eddie Betts, singles to Martin, Stocker, Silvani, Kennedy, Williams, DeConing, and Walsh. For the Magpies, Henry, three goals, all of them coming early in the piece, and singles to Elliot. Hoskin Elliott, Myacek, Sidebottom, Cameron and Bianco. Well, finally, uh, I don't think many people thought this game would take much of a twist. It seemed to be playing out as a lot of recent Collingwood Carlton clashes have. And uh, the Pies seeming to be in control despite a fantastic game midfield from Carlton Tyro, Sam Walsh. Gee, what a player he is. But the Blues got a late goal in that third term, reduced the gap to eight points, and then they just exploded in that final quarter. Goal to Mackay, a goal to Eddie Betts, putting the Blues in front for pretty much the first time. Another terrific snap from Walsh, giving him a two-goal edge. Mackay again, and then Mackay and Mackay to finish off. The Blues triumphant in the finish and squaring the all-time win-loss ledger between these two sides. They are both now 128 wins against each other and four draws, which a lot of people would say is about fitting. But uh, look, this was a not a glorious day for the Blues, but gee, the last quarter was as impressive a quarter of footy as they have played for some time and certainly the most potent. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And without Patrick Cripps, have a look at the ladder and Carlton now for the first time, can actually say, you know what? We're in the hunt for a spot in the eight. Why not? If other teams are going to fluff their lines and Carlton can finish off a game like that, then they should confidently aim to barnstorm into the eight and really turn heads, because that's what matters. That midfield without Cripps, we know Walsh has just been stellar this season, but he needed help. And he got it from a couple of unlikely sources. I thought Kennedy was very good today. Strong, providing hit-up options and good over the ball, not, you know, using his good frame. And Paddy Dow, who pre-season was speculated to be a real improver. And it's only been in the last month that we've really seen steps forward. But I can see now Paddy Dow staying on that Carlton list with some purpose. As for Collingwood, they've got plenty of young players Incredibly, the side that rattled home so brilliantly against Richmond and against St Kilda in the last fortnight looked like stuck in the mud, gone five minutes into that last quarter. It's funny how momentum takes different forms and it also affects the mind. And the mind needs to be strong 
to run out a game of football, especially with no people watching the field. The crowd doesn't lift you. You've got to do it yourself. And Carlton just took the initiative in that last quarter. And wasn't it meaningful when Silvani took that fantastic mark in the last quarter and hit up Harry McKay? His grandfather's passing played a big part in the build-up for Carlton this week. And I think uh, that moment, everybody knew Carlton's going to win it. Yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned Kennedy because I, I thought he was terrific today. 26 disposals he finished up with. Dow, as you say, over the last month, he's been one of the real emergers, I guess, for the Blues and another thing for them to look forward to. And Liam Stocker, I thought, pretty reasonable for them again today. For the Pies, they are at a stage now, I think, in their redevelopment or refurbishment, if you like, that if their senior players don't play well, they inevitably struggle. Now, Pendlebury, I just thought he was unusually fumbly today, Scott Pendlebury, and still side bottom, likewise, I sort of feel like he's struggling to have much impact. And if the pair of them aren't among their best players, I reckon these days you can just about back it in that they're going to struggle across the board. Look, Henry, they'll be happy about that. Three goals for him. Noble, I thought, pretty impressive out of defence. So, look, they're not without their positives. But, uh, gee, I look at the Pies as a group and think, yeah, you're, you're a fair way off being uh, a side that's going to consistently threaten the top sides of the table. Now, we've said that about the Blues for long enough, but I'm looking at Carlton's makeup as opposed to Collingwood's at the moment and seeing a little more promise in the immediate term in probably more of those players than I am with the Pies. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Look, Collingwood have got a mix now of very inexperienced players who are showing something. That was Henry's best game. I like Bianco. I certainly liked uh, the intercept mark he took and when he went back and kicked that goal. I think we've all seen snap glimpses of promise in some of their youngsters. But at the other end, they do have these ageing warriors and tried and and sort of players that are just comfortable each week doing the very same thing in diminishing circles. I speak of Thomas, I speak of Hoskin Elliott, for example. It's not that their contribution is an AFL standard, but it's it's predictable and it's limited. And in that, Collingwood need to find another equation, especially hitting the scoreboard. They certainly do. And it doesn't get a lot easier for them next week. They are scheduled to play Port Adelaide in Adelaide. Uh, That one down for Friday evening, 7.15pm. And we think that will proceed as planned. And as we mentioned before, Carlton are scheduled to play North Melbourne at Marvel Stadium, 4.40pm next Sunday afternoon. But who knows about that one? Well, we had uh, four games on this Sunday, another unusual feature of Round 18. Let's talk about the third one. Adelaide Oval was the venue for this game between the Crows and West Coast. Two sides, uh, fair to say, both of them in a real rut, certainly coming off unimpressive performances In the previous round, Adelaide, of course, managing just two goals against Essendon. West Coast beaten at home against North Melbourne. Someone had to emerge triumphant, and it was the Eagles in the end, recapturing uh, a bit of their expected form, I think it's fair to say, 
in a very strong finish to this game. In fact, they kicked 10 goals in the second half to the Crows' four. They ended up having a very comfortable 42-point win. The final scores, 14-14-98, the Eagles, to Adelaide, 8-8-56. The goal kickers, five goals to Jamie Cripps, uh, almost a career-best game, you'd have to say, about Jamie Cripps, and very timely indeed, given the late withdrawal from this game of Josh Kennedy. He was uh, supported ably by Liam Ryan, who chipped him with three. Two goals to our man, uh, Finey, Jack Petrocelli. Who's very quick, actually. I saw him today. And the singles coming to Darling, Yo, Allen and Williams for the Crows. Didn't get much from their forwards today. Two to Fogarty, two to Keys, singles to Lynch, Walker, Himmelberg and Schonberg. Well, pretty ordinary start by the Eagles finally. Goalless in the first quarter, led by just two points at half time. But they definitely found something, got a lot better the longer this game went. Uh, Nick Nat, pretty impressive in a milestone game for him. Yo, back to somewhere near his best form. Gaff was pretty good. And Shannon Hearn, uh, one of his better games for some time. So the big names standing up for the Eagles, and that made all the difference in the world. And uh, they were, you could see their confidence re-emerging by the minute the longer this game went. Uh, All of a sudden, I guess, at least as far as the finals are concerned, they are very much in the ball game. You know, beating Adelaide would have been, for a team like West Coast, an absolute given until the last fortnight and their terrible losses to Sydney down at Geelong, where they played one of their worst games in their entire existence, and then barely any better going down to North at home in WA. So nothing to be taken for granted. To get a seven-goal victory actually is extremely important because not only does it give them the points, it also gives them a bit of percentage important and confidence. And that confidence will be seen in the likes of Cripps, even though he's the sort of player who will always bob up at various times during the season. But more importantly, Ryan, he definitely is a player that has to believe in himself. And at one goal four, I was wondering what that belief was. He dropped a couple of marks, but he was buzzing around and he found his best self by the game's end. Those two players certainly will head into the upcoming games more confident. I think Darling still has a bit of work to do, but he he certainly provided some target without Kennedy being there. He'd love to hit the scoreboard more. Nick Natanu is 200th game. I mean, he rucked brilliantly in the first quarter. He doesn't get the ball as much as he used to, but just watch his tap work. It was superb. What about the Crows? Because they really did start this season looking full of promise. They've now lost, I think it's 11 of their last 13 games. And some of those younger faces who we were so enthused about really seem to have fallen away. I mean, their best today, look, Ben Key's been outstanding for them, but their better players, well, they were Laird, Seedsman, uh, Kelly, uh, Tom Lynch came back and uh, made his presence felt. So that was something positive for them. But 
it's just, I don't know, the Crows sort of looking like a bit of the same old, same old for me. And that's not what I was thinking about them early in the season. It's been a disappointing fade out from them, I reckon. Rowan, Tom Lincoln's had a terrible run with some horrific sort of injuries and he only had a short time back in the sandfall. He came back and he did what he does best. He ran hard, presented. He would have got mid-20s in the touches, I would have thought. I haven't checked, but I reckon about 25 and he kicked a goal. And you know who should hang his head in shame watching that? It's Darcy Fogarty. Because in that second half, he's inactivity and dispassionate approach to the game given that he's younger than Lynch, given that he's fitter than Lynch, given that, quite frankly, he's got no excuses because he's playing for his spot in the side. You just wonder how desperate some of these guys are. Young Rowe, I can cut some slack for. I thought he was absent MIA as well, but it's his first season of AFL football and he's been pretty good. But I just can't understand a bloke like Fogarty. How many chances do you give him before you say, you know what, he's he's stamped unreliable and not up to AFL standard. What do you reckon? Yeah, well, he's been around the scene a fair bit. Now this is what his uh, fourth season, I think. You sort of, you'd be hoping a, a guy's going to leave a reasonable imprint on uh, footy by the time he's closing in on 100-odd games, or certainly around the 80 mark. So it's been a slow burn. I wouldn't give up on him yet, but uh, yeah, I think they'd be rightly worried about the pace at which he's developing. Uh, effort, effort. That's what you ask from players that aren't in great touch. You show that you really want to be part of the team and that the team matters to you. And, and it's all about, to me, effort. I, I will say this for the Adelaide Crows. I'll, no, I want to ask you. If they finish the season in a tailspin and they're not looking great at the moment, will the early season gains, even though worth something, have to be sort of discounted? Uh, not totally, but it would be worry, worrying, I think, because they they fell away pretty early in the piece, so you couldn't sort of argue it was about young bodies getting tired or whatever. Um, they've just been found out a bit. I think they, they might have surprised a few people with the way they were playing. A few names might have snuck up on a few people, but they've been worked out to an extent, so... Uh, they've certainly got a bit of thinking to do. As the West Coast back in the ball game, as we said, seventh on the ladder. They've got your Saints uh, scheduled for home next week, Finey. Who have they got after that? They've got Collingwood, Melbourne, Fremantle and Brisbane. So a couple of tough ones, a couple of ones that uh, on talent you think they should win. So you'd still be backing them to be part of the final eight. So West Coast to play St. Part Florida. of it, but- a meaningful part of it? Do you back them to be that? No, I don't. Okay, uh, but they won't be the only side not playing a meaningful part in the finals. Yep. Anyway, that game against your Saints scheduled for 7.40pm Saturday evening. The Crows, uh, they are drawn at this stage to play the Western Bulldogs in Ballarat next Sunday afternoon. But again, we wait to see if that actually happens. Well, that left one game in round 18. It was a Sydney derby and it was played on the Gold Coast. And round 18 finally finished up at Metricon Stadium, the second week of a Sunday doubleheader there, hosting the Sydney derby, GWS 
taking on the Swans. Well, dramatic developments before the start of this game. Of course, a whole score of AFL people, both players and staff, went to the Rugby International at Amy Park in Melbourne during the week. That was subsequently de- declared a COVID hotspot and the ramifications continue to be felt. Um, the danger, if you like, of that exposure site being upgraded to Tier 2 only on Sunday. Now, what did that mean from an AFL point of view? Well, it meant that some key participants in this final game of Round 18 could not play. And by key participants, we really mean it. Toby Green, a late withdrawal from the Giants. He was at that Rugby International. Matt DeBoer, out of the Giants lineup. They were replaced by Tanner Bruin and Zach Sproul. And for the Swans, they felt the pinch as well. Um, Mills Cunningham and O'Reardon, the late omissions there, they all attended the rugby as well, replaced by Robottom, Stevens and Ronke. Well, that must have really sent both teams uh, into a bit of a spin. Well, certainly the Giants who seemed to cope better with it early on in this game. A remarkable game, really. Uh, the Swans struck first, but the Giants promptly rattled on seven straight goals to get out to a 35-point lead before Sydney hit bat emphatically with nine straight goals of their own. In the end, the Swans' 26-point victors So, a 51-point turnaround. Remarkable stuff. The final scores, 15-8-98, the Swans, defeating the Giants, 11-6-72. The goals, four to Franklin, all in the second half. Four to Tom Papley, two to McInerney, two to Wicks, singles to Hayward, Hickey, Parker. For GWS, three to Himmelberg, two to Hogan, two to Lloyd, Singles to Bruin, Finlayson, Kennedy and Perryman. Well, Finey, I reckon uh, as late as five minutes to go in the second quarter, you wouldn't have given the Swans a prayer. They didn't look like it. Giants doing all the uh, hitting the scoreboard and leading by the best part of six goals. What an amazing transformation came over this game. You're right, because... After they kicked those consecutive seven goals to lead by 44 points to 10, there were a couple of goals kicked by Sydney, but they couldn't get two goals in a row. Basically, Papley would kick a goal, GWS replied, McInerney reply. And this was the pattern until deep in the quarter when they finally got a couple of goals in in, in, uh, consecutive order. And then one of two moments that really, I believe, cost Giants the win or a chance of winning the game that were in their own hands. Because, of course, losing Toby Green, I know Cunningham and Mills are good players, but Toby Green is Toby Green, let's face it. And then losing Kelly late in the third quarter to a sprained ankle and losing their Ruckman Flynn, that was beyond their control and most unfortunate. But what was within their control was when Hogan, with about a minute left on the clock, had a set shot from 45 metres out before half time, and incomprehensibly chose to stab past it. Now, it got touched by the player on the mark, play on, and wouldn't you know, the ball gets whipped down the other end. Parker marks 
right in the jaws of half time with five seconds left on the clock, go back, goes back and kicks it. That's a sort of two goal turnaround heading into the big break, seeing your lead almost halved because that's what happened. Very soul destroying. And then the other moment I thought was unfortunately for the hard running Daniels, there was still a flicker of hope. They started the last quarter very well, GWS against all odds. And he found himself free in the forward line was on the end of a long, well-placed kick, and he fluffed a chest mark and dropped it over the boundary, and with it went their chances. Because at that stage, Sydney, they didn't need much of an opportunity to get back on top. I thought, just to name a few of their better players, I'd like you actually to talk about Franklin, because he had very much a game of two halves. Papley was lively, kicked a butte goal in the last quarter. McInerney continues his good current form. Of course, they get good service out of the likes of Hickey, Kennedy and Parker always. And some of the younger players that came in, Rowbottom didn't get the ball that much, but when he got it, he used it well and he tackled well. That's important. And how about McCartan? You know what? He's almost all Australian, Rowan. Must be in the discussion. Well, I'll tell you one thing about Buddy. When his kicking boots are on, uh, they are on because none of those goals he kicked ever look like missing. Every one of them absolutely split the centre and a couple from a fair way out. He was inspired. Three goals in that third quarter. Got out in the lead, out in front, and the Swans hit him up regularly. I'll tell you what really I think is ominous about the Swans now. That is, we talk a lot. We talked a lot earlier in the year about the uh, freshness those young players had given to the look of how they play their footy. More recently, the senior players have been really pulling their weight and keeping them on track. Well, now I think they're both starting to hit their straps. I think some of those kids are getting their second wind again. I'm glad you mentioned McInerney. He is definitely a favourite of mine. Thought he was terrific today. Geez, classy. And he's got pace, 23 disposals and a couple of goals for him today. But And, and Rowan, he's not a big um, inside player or tackler, but he, in fact, executes quite a good number of rundown tackles with his pace and read of the game. So he's not just a one-trick pony. It's not all one way. No, he's got a few mates too. Wicks bobbing up for a couple of goals. Amati, of course has come into this side, and uh, boy, does he look promising. And then we've still got a guy like Chad Warner, who uh, oh, a month or so ago was uh, looked the pick of them all. So, wow, they have got so much upside. Whatever happens to them for the rest of this year, they can be really, really bullish about the next few years, I think. This has been a wonderful season by them. And look, who knows? Who knows where it's going to end? Maybe they're just going to get on a roll and go all the way. I certainly wouldn't discount their chances of doing that. And uh, when you can turn around a deficit, the best part of six goals and uh, end up winning by uh, the best part of five goals, you have a fair bit of talent at your disposal. A quick word on the Giants finding, have they still got any prospect of making the eight? Yeah, they do because of the fact that some of the teams around them didn't take their opportunities, Fremantle and St Kilda in particular. They showed a bit of character today. They had a lot of young players in the team. Both teams were jolted pre-game, but the Giants actually obviously got off to a, a really good start. They got beaten by a better team. And let's be honest, the teams that make the eight are not going to be anywhere near as good as the top four or five. So 
different weight division they got beaten. But if they show that sort of application and determination, they can take the scalps of teams around them, no problem, and make the eight. If, of course, they, and this is really important, get Toby Green, you know, 14 days they want those guys off the off the track for. He's important. They need him back ASAP. Well, I think at this stage, uh, all those guys will remain missing for next week. So very costly. And here's their run home, uh, talking, talking about challenges. Essendon next week, Port Adelaide, Geelong, Richmond and Carlton. So if they do scrape into the eight, they will well and truly have earned it, I think. They certainly will. Gee, you were quick to snuff out any chance of Toby Green playing, so I didn't really need to know who they were playing next week, Rowan. Yeah, well, it will be a costly <laughs> loss indeed. All right, that is round 18. A dramatic weekend of football, no doubt about that. And we've got a bit of drama left for you in this podcast. It's that bit of the show where we go all nutbaggery. Well, I don't know. That's not even a word, but whatever it is, we do it. It's time for the rant. On Footyology, the rant off. All right, it's that part of the show. As you know, Fidey, sometimes uh, these can be a bit whimsical. Sometimes we are genuinely fired up. And I've got a feeling today's rants may fall into the latter category. I'm certainly ready to go. Are you ready to count me in? I'm always ready to count you in, but I like when you're fired up. So, Rocco, rant away at one, two, and three. I'm pissed off with people whinging about draws in AFL football fighting. It's got so bad you spend the last couple of minutes of every close game praying that someone wins. Not because there's any philosophical objection to two teams being impossible to separate in a match. It's so you can avoid the inevitable hot takes that you know you're going to be putting up with for the next week as a result. I reckon I've had to wheel out this argument virtually every time we've had a draw over the last 10 years, which, let's be honest, it isn't all that often. But here it is again. A draw, contrary to what the let's change everything which doesn't give us instant gratification brigade think, is a result. The two match points you earn from it go towards a final ladder position. They may help a team's cause, or they may hurt it. That's glorious uncertainty. Why is it different in finals? Well, obviously, because the logistics of having to work a replay of a game in which there has to be a winner and loser into a set calendar are impossible, and because they alter the preparation of other teams involved in that final series. Just ask Essendon of 1990 about that one. But as part of a team's 22-game schedule, a draw is fine. In fact, they throw a whole new dynamic into the fight for ladder positions, with wins and losses becoming even more decisive. Who objects to the draw? Well, not many punters, if my Twitter timeline following Saturday night's Melbourne Hawthorne draws any sort of guide, particularly the Hawk fans who were wrapped with their 17th place team being able to snatch at least two match points away from a top team, and not that many players, it seems. Melbourne's Ben Brown, another participant in a draw who, interviewed after the game, agreed they were a valid part of the landscape of results. You'll hear similar sentiments echoed by players now every time we have one because they're inevitably asked about it. Probably more so now too, after what happened at Wembley in London last weekend when three English players missed their penalties in a shootout between Italy and England 
and proceeded to cop several days' worth of vile racist taunting on social media. Ironically, that penalty shootout to decide the Italy-England Euro 2000 final was the hook for this AFL draw furphy to get thrown up one more time. I say ironically because the analogy ignored one very important point, that even in the Euros, during the group stages, just like our competition, a draw is in fact a valid result. And again, just like us, extra time is used as a way of determining a winner only in finals. The only difference with us is that in our finals, we keep the extra time going. So now, of course, the get rid of a draw army is suggesting kickoffs between players from either team. Spare me. But this army isn't the players and it's not the fans. So who is it? Once again, this is being driven by the same sorts of people who'd have us slavishly copying every aspect of US sporting culture if they could. Actually, forget that. Just make it slavishly copying every aspect of the US. Probably right down to our choice of elected leader. And that worked out pretty well for them a few years back, didn't it? One thing I find amusing about this debate is people using the phrase unsatisfying about a game which ends with scores level. Talk about goldfish memories. So you've just spent the last two hours screaming your lungs out and the last few minutes on the edge of your seat. And then because there was no winner, that whole experience suddenly becomes null and void. It's not logical. Here's a newsflash for those lacking a sense of nuance. There doesn't always have to be a winner and loser for something to be worthwhile. Well, except in this tedious debate. And I think it's pretty clear which side of the argument the losers are on, Finey. Interesting. Interesting. You see, I believe we keep the status quo only because, you know what? Tradition is worth something, and we've done it this way ever since the game was, well, the VFL started in 1897 and other state leagues have always had draws and too much has changed and there's no need to change it out of respect for history. Anybody that suggests a kickoff should F off. You'd have to be brain dead to ask for a kickoff. The reason they're looking for, they want alternatives in soccer because it's an unfair way to end a game between 11 men on either side, just have shots at goal. But the beauty about Australian rules is it's high scoring, so you don't need to worry about that. There's going to be scores in extra time. You never, ever need a kickoff. That's just inane. That is just absolute rubbish. That just feeds into, you know, some people's, as you say, fish, fish-like fish attention span of, I'm good for about 10 seconds, I can watch that. Leave it as it is. The one thing I don't like about a draw, Rowan, is that it generally um, eliminates the relevance of percentage. And I just, you know, I don't like getting a draw early on in the year and then thinking, well, it doesn't really matter how much my team wins by. I like teams playing it out to the final siren. That's the only niggle. But you know what? Often... Draws happen between teams and similarly placed on the ladder, so percentage can still count. Well, you've and got I remember four, a couple of got, years when I remember a couple of years when St Kilda have had two draws. Well, you've got four teams in that position now, so yeah, they can have yeah, their yeah. own battle for percentage. Yeah, no, good, good. Keep the draw. All right, uh, I believe that you uh, have been stewing on this one for a while, so I'm looking oh, yeah, forward well. to hearing it. Are you ready to go? 
I am ready. Oh, good. Three, two, one, rant. Caroline Wilson is not liked by most football fans, but she is read, listened to and watched, and really, it's not her job to be liked. She covers not the game as it is played each week by the 18 clubs. Her bailiwick is anything outside of match time. It deals with life at clubland, what goes on behind closed doors, and opens up a world sometimes murky and dark that many fans don't like knowing about their own club. Likewise, she has delved into the private lives of footballers and football personalities, much to the chagrin of those involved. It's not an easy job to do, delivering failings of a club or an individual to an information-hungry world. And she's admired by those who see in her an iron will, an ability to block out the noise, a thick hide and carrying no favour and working the side of the street that makes no friends. Added to that, being a woman has made it difficult for her in the past, I'm sure. In fact, she should be admired and put up at a pedestal, not in 2021 when we are woke and Females do have a voice in the AFL, but for the decades she worked previously, when it must have been bloody difficult. So, so far, you'd think that I'm a pretty big Caroline Wilson fan. Well, I'm not. And here's the problem with Caroline Wilson. And that is that as she has ascended through the football media, she has become unapologetic when wrong. And more importantly, or may I say, for me, more criminally, she writes a narrative to fit her own take on a particular situation. Allow me to explain. And here's where it comes in. Look, if you're a football pundit whose predictions and prognostications deal with clubs' positions on the ladder or a player's form, well, then you will stand and be judged by results. It's pretty black and white. If I say at the start of 2021, Geelong won't make the finals, then at the end of the year, I could be hung, drawn and quartered when they do, or I can sit proudly if they don't. The facts are there for all to see. Same with an individual. But when you are dealing in the world of Caroline Wilson, where you talk about club culture, where you talk about behaviour and attitude, well, things become far more murky and there is an ability and a temptation, one that she has not been able to resist, to make the story fit your position and write it accordingly. Just have a look at her take on North Melbourne, damning them for staying here and not going up to the Gold Coast. She pipes up when they're in trouble and is not heard on that topic when they are, when they are performing well. Likewise, she was quick to put the boots into James Heard. And as the story developed and the scenery changed, she never changed her position. Maybe strings being pulled by higher powers, but surely there was a time when there's some empathy could be felt for James, not from Caroline Wilson. But what has really got my gander is the current situation with Damien Hardwick and the Richmond Football Club. A classic example of a grandstanding journalist 
pouncing when the opportunity presents. Late in January, she wrote that his relationship with Alexander Crowe and the failure of his marriage was tarnishing his legacy and would ultimately have the impact on the club, negative impact on the club, that could tear it apart and take away from their premiership run. She said it was soul-destroying for the Richmond Football Club. We didn't hear from her in the early weeks. Obviously, the players were quite comfortable with the situation as they ran through the early part of the season with wins. But up she chimes when losses to St Kilda and Gold Coast against expectations had Richmond reeling. Again, she surfaced. Yes, she said, it was the early season situation with Hardwick and the marriage that was putting Richmond on the rocks. How ridiculous is that? Preposterous. She waited for the opportunity and she appeared. Part of me actually says it's a bit of a regret that it didn't happen in, 19, in 2019 or 2020. But with all respect to the parties involved, I'm just taking this stance. It would have been interesting had the Hardwick situation arrived in those two seasons because for part of those seasons, Richmond did lose form and looked like anything but premiership contenders. She would have been up and about, wouldn't she, in 19 and 20, declaring her position the right one as Richmond were outside the eight. She would have had to eat humble pie in those years, though, because the Tigers, of course, went on to win brilliant back-to-back premierships. And it's for that reason that even without Martin, Bolter, Broad and a host of players, even though they still sit unlikely to win the premiership, I'm all turned around on the matter. Because if it proves the likes of Caroline Wilson and their grandstanding on matters outside the realms of the game, if it proves that wrong, if it proves the narrative wrong, then come on, Tigers, make it a three-peat. Well, uh, that was strong, Fanny. Uh, no, well, well articulated. Uh, look, for what it's worth, I always think it's pretty dangerous ground for journos to start uh, getting on the moral pie horse because um, we all have the odd skeleton in our closet. And, uh, in fact, this isn't even a skeleton in the closet. It's a marital breakdown and uh, it's really no one's business. So, look, I'm, I'm with you on that, Um I, I can be I can be sure, given her stance, well, I have no idea about Caroline's past, but she speaks from a, an ivory tower that suggests that um, the you know holy sanctity of marriage must be incredibly important to her. I don't know. I've got no idea. But boy, oh boy, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, well, I'll just say there, normally in, in uh, that sort of scenario, I'd say no comment, but uh, now I'm saying absolutely no comment. Uh, all right, interesting. I'll, go, I'll grant you that. I'll grant you that. All right, interesting stuff, Fanny, and uh, well expressed. I know you've been stewing on that for a bit, so good to get it off your chest. Uh, on that suitably controversial note, we wrap up our Round 18 review. Of course, we couldn't have a Round 18 review without your loyal support and without the support of some wonderful sponsors. This podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. Uh, what about our other wonderful sponsors, Fanny? I love a good burger. 
you know what? Lockdown hasn't been easy for the boys at Andrews. Of course, it hasn't been easy for any business in Melbourne. But the beauty is if you, you can get there with the five-kilometre rule and uh, just bite into an Andrews hamburgers, it is one of those absolute constants that will make you smile and for a moment or two or for at least lunch forget that we are going through this bloody thing again. Serious, serious matter. Andrew's Handbiggers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, have a meal that is undiminished by these tough times and live in a house that is absolutely splendid. We have, we've Lockdown means that we spend a lot of time at home. Seriously, think about improving your home. West Point Properties and Nick Spartels now's the time to call them, Rowan. And think about improving your statistical knowledge with a visit to another proud sponsor of Footyology, Stats Insider, the best sports data analyst in the business, uh, studying more than 15 sports across the globe and sampling an event more than 10,000 times to give you the best range of possible and probable outcomes. Some great writing on their site too. Check it out, statsinsider.com. .au. Give them a follow on Twitter at Stats Insider. And if you want to be a good financial supporter of the Footyology podcast, you can do that at the ACAST supporter page, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Or you can jump on our website, footyology.com.au, and head to one of the links for Patreon for $7 Australian per month. You can become an official Footyology patron won't give you that some gravitas in your local community. Tell all your friends while you're at it. Thanks for your company. I hope your team had a good win. Better luck next week. If they didn't, uh, we'll talk to you midway through next week when we have a look at what's coming up in round 19. See you then. <laughs>